What's up, everybody? Welcome into the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast. Kyle and Derek back with you for another episode where we learn how not to be a youth pastor. Derek, are you ready for today? Episode 30, man. We are we're officially more than our ages. That is true. And, uh, I, you know, I was thinking the other day, you hit this point in your late 20s where there's really not a whole lot else to look forward to with birthdays. Wow, it's depressing. I know it is because you you know, you're growing up like you turn 16 and you can get your license, you turn 18 and you can vote, you turn 21 and you can legally turn down drinks. You turn <laughs> you <laughs> I turn was waiting 20. for what your response is going to be on that one. <laughs> uh I believe it's 25 or 26. I think it's 25 that like rental cars. You you can rent a car yep. except that's not even true now. Uh, you can rent a car younger than 25. It just accrues an additional cost. A significant one. Probably, it like, it like yeah. doubles it. Uh, and then uh, after that, uh, like at 35, I can run for president, but like there's not a whole lot <laughs> else. Like, And they become much farther apart. Well, at tw- 27 is my golden birthday, which is this year. That's true. So, I mean, that, that's kind of something to look was forward to. Was that like, Kyle, get me something? Or? Yeah, of okay. course it was. Interesting. I mean, you, you did buy us lunch today, so I guess like, that's kind of something you already do, but you know, it's all good. Are you telling me that if I just buy you lunch somewhere near your birthday, I can get off the hook for actually getting sure. you a present? Yeah. I, I do have a I do have a present for you this year already lined up. I will My birthday's say that. in September. I know that. You're waiting. You're sitting on something for over six months. Yeah. I've been sitting on it for That's terrifying. about a year That's actually. Terrifying. Oh no. It's actually more of a re gift. I think I know what that is. Uh, I don't like that. Why? Um, because I think I know what it is. It's a good gift. Um, anyways, uh, this episode comes out on March third, so I've got three and a half weeks to figure out what to get you for your birthday. So, if if it's anything like, this will be fun. If it's anything I know about you, Kyle, it's that if you get me a gift, it's gonna be some form of prank or a gay gift. Why do you say that like it's a problem or a bad thing? Because a gag gift is like tough. I mean, pranks are funny, but you also like, you don't do anything halfway. This is true. This is true. I guess you're just going to have to sit and stew on it for three and a half weeks until we find out. Terrifying. <laughs> uh, but that's not what we're talking about on today's episode outside of how old we are. Uh, some people would say how young we are, but that's fine. Our youth students look at us and say, wow, you are ancient ancient history. Uh, We are talking about biblical literacy on today's podcast. We're talking about uh, students' knowledge of the Bible or lack thereof. Uh, We're talking about Bible translations today. Mm. And so, Derek, today's quick question, what translation of the Bible uh, do you use? Do you have a couple that you typically use? Uh, What do you usually read? So, by default, I usually go NIV, which is, um, now I, now I have the, we were just talking about this before the show, um, the, what some people slam the NIV, they call it the nearly inspired version, which I think is just so (laughs) preposterous, but, um, it's new international version is the actual, uh, thing. But so NIV is kind of my go-to, uh, the backup to that, that I, that I will go to periodically for spurts is, the NLT, New Living Translation. Yep. And then I have a little bit of, I call it the the spice factor, the one where I like to mix it up like for 
small little, you know, chunks of the Bible and I'll, I'll, I'll read the message, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll talk about at some point in the podcast. But how about you, sir? Uh, so the first Bible that I ever got was uh, a children's Bible with pictures. Probably. Uh, the first real Bible. Thank you for the clarification. The first real Bible I got was an NIV. Um, still have that one. Actually, that's the one I still preach out of. Uh, it is falling apart, but I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can Well done. because well done. I like to write in my Bible and underline things and, you know, notes in the margins and I don't want to lose all that. Yeah. Uh, it'd be re- a real pain to have to go you know, copy that over to a new Bible. I'm impressed. I didn't know you know how to read. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, NIV, the other one, I, I got a study Bible when I was in high school that is uh, new King James. And so, uh, whenever I like to go old school, I like to take that one out. My wife, although that one pretty much stays at my office here at church, okay. my wife has an identical study Bible, but it's NIV at home. And so, but it's the same notes in the bottom of it. And so I will like, sometimes if I'm at home, I, if I'm looking at something or just reading the Bible for myself, I will, you know, pull out her NIV to look at the notes on the bottom of it or, or something like that. Uh, but yeah, those are typically the two Every, good ones. I th- I'd say that NLT is my, you know, spice translation. Spice yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll throw that one. Sometimes I will, when I'm preaching, I'll use an NLT version of yep. a of a passage instead yep. of NIV, just kind of depending on how it's worded, and maybe uh, you know maybe I want to go a different route with it, but they all say the same thing. So, and if you're wondering what the heck we're talking about right now, this is a great episode for you to be tuning into because we are going to be talking about biblical literacies, specifically as it pertains to youth students and youth ministries. Uh, but we're going to be really breaking down what it looks like uh, to be in God's word consistently and why it's important as a youth ministry to be built upon that. Because Kyle, I know we we don't necessarily write this together, but I think it's a common assumption and understanding that both you and I have that the Bible should not just be like a component of our ministry. It really should be the foundation, right? Like every single thing we do from games, like we talked about last episode to how we write our messages, how we present how we live and love on students should be based on what God's word says. Like it, there's, there's, there's not just a, Hey, we're going to throw in some, some cool quotes, some cool catchphrases from this book called the Bible. It really needs to be the anchor behind everything that we do. Yeah. You would, you would think that that could go without saying, but uh, you know, it, it's, we use the analogy all the time with youth students that if if you are, uh, you know, if you are, the Bible uses like a, a ship on the waves. And if you are tossed about like the waves in the ocean, like if you don't have that solid constant in your life to to anchor yourself, uh, you're, you're just going to be thrown around all over the place. And that's one of the things like for me and our youth ministry, the Bible is, is that solid, like we are always coming back to the Bible. We're always coming back to what does the Bible say about this? Let's preach through the Bible. Let's preach out of the Bible. Let, you know, we're not getting caught up in all of the other, all of the other frills of, of everything that could be coming with youth ministry. Absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> you know, it, it truly is the anchor because it, it describes the Lord. You know, I mean, I think a lot of times the perception is, the Bible is this book 
that you should read if you're a Christian. Whereas the reality is that might be true, but the reason we get into the word is because it teaches all about who the Lord is and it teaches us and describes to us him in a better way. And that's what anchors us. It's it's not the book itself. It's the, it's the description of the author. It's, it's, it's the Lord and, and, and how he is expressed through the word. And so, you know, I think it's so important that we talk about this because in reality, there is a literacy gap that we're finding in Generation Z, which is the very students who are in our youth ministries. Statistically speaking, they will be the most biblically illiterate generation purely by the masses. Yep. And I think there's a few reasons why. Uh, the first one is just a natural breakdown, you know, according to generations. You think about baby boomers. That would be our grandparents, I believe, Kyle. You'd, you're the ones who are... I feel like you're more well-versed in generations, but... Um, depends on when your grandparents were born. I, I suppose, I, yeah. I think my parents would be... baby. You know what? Google's right yep, here. Yep, please do. But um, basically, what, I'm, what we're trying to get at here is the baby boomer generation, whether they're, I guess, by definition, our parents or grandparents... When they were growing up, the Bible was truth. You got something for me. Uh, the baby boomer generation would be those born between 1946 and 1964. So uh, oh, wow. my parents are right on the cutoff, but they're on the baby boomer side of okay. that cutoff. Yeah. So grandparents or parents, though, they grew up that the Bible was authoritative. It was truth. It was the good book. It was it, it just had its own swagger, its own authority to it just by its own standing. They had kids, which would be the Generation X. Which, 1965 to 1980. Thank you. I, Mr. Dictionary, <laughs> Kyle, I, I love having you as... You, you are like the scribe or the uh, source. That would be good friend of the source, dailyfreepress.com. Daily free Great friend of the show. Great friend of the show. So that would be for sure like parents of specifically an article written by a good friend of the show veronica thompson oh veronica does tune into us periodically and yep. uh, she has no idea who we are but thank you veronica <laughs> for your input today generation x kind of was the first ones of like okay like we know this is the good book but yep we're we have some questions we have we have some things like we have we disagree with some of this and that was the turning point because then Generation X had millennials, which you and I, I think, technically fall within. And I know you can fact check me on that. Yes. Uh, born 1981 to 1995. Yep. So we're, we are literally on the back end of millennials. Sorry, but, 96. My bad, Veronica. Yeah, th- thank you. Thank you for, for clarifying. Yep. Millennials, I think, truly were kind of like the the first big gap where... I knew the Bible was important because I had my grandparents are talking about it, but really it wasn't like a foundational part of me growing up. I mean, I, I would I would go to church and I would see the Bible in the back of the pews or whatever, but like it really was not much more than that. It was just a book that you read in church. And then you come into Generation Z now. Born uh, 97 to 2012. Yep. And give me your perspective on what the Bible holds for relevance in Generation Z. Uh, they don't really know what it is. Um, <laughs> no, I say that as a joke, but honestly, you know, Generation Z, like you get to this point throughout the generations where, you know, if it, Generation Z primarily uh, parented by, you know, the second half of Gen, Gen X, 
Yep. And so, you know, a lot of our youth students today, parented by Gen X, who they they had a decreased value on the Bible, and Generation Z is actually a generation growing up where most of them haven't read you know, yeah. the Bible before. And they, it's not something that they see as super important, let alone a source of truth. I don't think it's unheard of that there are some students within our youth ministry that have grown up in America their whole life that straight up don't know what the Bible is. Yeah. And to a lot of our older audience, that would be unheard of because even if you weren't a churchgoer, you were familiar with the Bible. And I guess that just proves our point that the emphasis and the importance upon it has slowly broke down over generations just because of a different perception of it, you know? And I think we as the church can kind of, unfortunately, sometimes feed into that. Like there's, we don't always emphasize the importance of being grounded in the word, right? Like we, we are built upon sermons or built upon church activities. It goes back to that whole attractional church model. Again, if we don't model that the Bible is not just a part of what we do here, but it's truly the groundwork upon which everything else we do builds upon. It just becomes a means to an end. It just becomes this thing that just is a part of church and that's it. And uh, that can be really, really troubling and problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to get back into the liter- biblical literacy mindset because I I went really deep into this article <laughs> on uh, generations. Uh, real quick, I promise we'll get back to it. But uh, apparently, there's another generation here. Uh, gener- they, according to uh, social researcher and good friend of the show, Mark McCriddle. Ooh, which sounds way too McGriddles. close to McGriddle. McGriddles are really uh, good. <laughs> He, uh, he, I don't know if he coined it or not, but generation alpha born 2013 to 2025. And I'm actually going to take issue. I don't know, like generation Y millennials, uh, typically they see the cutoff around 95 or 96 because those are the last few years that kids grew up where they remember nine 11. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you know, like I, re- I was in first grade. I remember yep. like, I don't, I obviously I didn't comprehend a lot of it, but I do remember, yep. uh, nine 11, uh, Gen Z they've got on here, 97 to 2012. I think that we need to have a generation gap, uh, pre and post COVID. You know, like this That's generation yeah. doesn't have a ton of cognitive memories about COVID right. or, or about that quarantine period specifically in, yep. t- in 2020. Uh, so, and, and they should probably be like generation Delta or generation Omicron or oh something like gosh. that. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can, um, Except I like what they go like generation alpha that gives you a lot of letters to go through in the Greek alphabet. Like whoever named Gen X, like that's the dumbest idea ever. You have two more letters and then you're done. <laughs> so I do like the idea of Generation Alpha. Anyways, that was a completely I, unnecessary I, I, tangent. I wondered where your brain was because I saw you just like completely zoned was, into your computer. It was such an interesting article. Uh, it really wasn't, but uh, I I have a gift from God to zone out of everything else around me when I want your, to. Your wife might say differently. Uh, that, that well, she says it's gift. true, but she would probably wouldn't necessarily call it a gift from God. You're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's Gen Z mm-hmm. has 
uh, they, they have grown up with the cultivated worldview of every generation leading up to them, you know, slowly getting farther and farther away from the Bible. And it's culminated in a generation that doesn't see the Bible as important. They don't see the Bible as truth. Uh, and so that makes our job as youth pastors very interesting. It does. It and, does. And there's a lot of, there. there's more obstacles on that front. I, I was literally just having a conversation with a student um, a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night. He he mentioned that he has a friend who, uh, or actually I think is a coworker who's, uh, who's bisexual and they were talking about what the Bible says about that. And, you know, he asked about that. And one of the things I told him was that you can't hold a non-Christian to Christian standards. Like if, if somebody's not a Christian and they don't believe in the Bible, they don't see the Bible as true, yep. then you can't look at them and say, you know, you uh, need to change your life and yep. you need to not do this and you need to start doing this. You know, you have an entire generation growing up. First, you have to show them the importance of scripture as truth. Yep before you can get into some of the other things, which is not true of generations in the past. Agreed. Because I think growing up, our parents would probably say, you could stand on that leg. Like, yeah. this is wrong because the Bible says so. Even if you didn't believe in the Bible or you weren't a Christian, <laughs> the Bible says this is wrong, so don't do it. So, fun story. Uh, there's a gentleman in our church uh, who was telling me this story. He, at the time he and his wife had a, uh, about a, I think a three or four year old daughter. Okay. Uh, and their family did not go to church at all. He, I think had grown up kind of, you know, I mean, he is a millennial Yeah. or he is, sorry, he's gen X. And okay. so he yep. grew up with parents that placed a high priority in the Bible, but he didn't necessarily himself. And, yep. you know, now he has, he and his wife had a daughter at the time who, you know, they didn't go to church at all. Sure. And he, his daughter lied to him. It was like one of the first times I think his daughter had uh -huh. ever lied to him before. Uh -huh. And he goes, uh, well, you know where liars go? And she said, no. And he was like, touche. <laughs> we should probably go to church. <laughs> it was one of those moments where he's like, oh yeah, you don't know. <laughs> We should, Some of those Bible stories that I did growing and, up. And, and legit, that's why they started coming to church? Yeah. No That's way. why they started coming to church, yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. And love the guy now. He's he's just a rock star, but that was... That is hilarious. I love that. I, he told me that story. I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, some people have like this crazy story of like, you know, what was your, what was your you know, coming back to the Lord moment? Right, and yeah. And it's like this crazy thing of like, I was, you know, crazy circumstances and God came through like... At the mouth of your daughter, you. My my daughter didn't know why lying was bad. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's hilarious. But like, but like, it's spot on, you know. And so like, it it completely changes the playbook for us as youth pastors because we can no longer move forward under the assumption that there is a framework and a foundation there by default because there is there is not one. And so yeah. we as youth pastors need to be very intentional about helping develop that literacy in students, right? Like. That is now our job. It's not automatically there. So we need to help establish a culture where that can be there. I think the biggest thing we can do that with, this has been, this has been, I've been, again, doing youth ministry for about five years now. This is something that I became aware of probably about a year ago where I realized 
I'm, we're going to get churchy here for a second, but there are two types of, I guess there's more than two, but there are two general categories that sermons will fall under. And the first one is topical, which is just what it sounds like. It's a certain topic. You are centering everything around this topic, whether it's anger, joy, um, whatever, whatever it is. And so you kind of just pick verses and references throughout the Bible to help support that topic. On the flip side, there's expository, and that is purely an exposition. It's you taking one specific Bible story and drawing your sermon based upon what you pull out of that sermon. And so they each have their place. I think think a good youth ministry will have a good mix of both. But I think not everybody, but I think in this attractional ministry mindset, topical sermons have become candy. They've become the things that we do everything about. We're going to do a sermon about emotions. We're going to do a sermon or a sermon series about, you know, love and romance. And then those are all good things, but we've gotten so far away from just like opening the word, reading the students a full story and basing our sermon out of that. Yeah. My, my wife has affectionately coined topical sermons as Ted talks with a Bible verse thrown in. That's good. Uh, And it's, it's really good Uh, it, it, because they're, they can be easier. Yeah. If not done well. Yep. Uh, you know, it can be, it's so easy to, I mean, Derek and I go back and listen to our Thanksgiving episode. If you want to, if you want (laughs) a reference for how easy it is to come up with a topical sermon, like you can take, in an object or an idea or a story or a thought and turn that into a sermon, no problem. The The difficulty is getting deep into the word of God and coming up and coming up with a simple way to explain truth. And, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of what that expository sermon is, is we're going to give the full story yep. in an expository sermon. We're going to preach through uh, I don't remember if it was this last summer or the summer before we did a sermon series in our youth ministry throughout the whole summer on the Sermon on the Mount. And wow. we just took chunk after chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, read right through it and and talked about it. And we preached out of that. And that's, both of them have their place. You know, topical sermons can be really good, but the really good ones are a little bit harder. Yep. Uh, you know, to come up with how do I preach this topic without it being a TED talk that I just happened to throw a couple Bible verses into. Right. And I think the problem with that, because you're using the word and I have no doubt that your topical sermons are anchored in scriptural truth. At least I hope they are, but like fingers crossed. Yeah. But the problem with that is what I find so interesting is the printing press was not invented until well after these scriptural events took place like well, well, well after. Sure. Okay. So when you were in Israel, they talk, I'm sure they talked about this, but they talked about how many decades and centuries scripture was passed down orally. Oh yeah. You know, like yep. it was like a, this event happened. Mm-hmm. And so they passed down that story to that next generation and mm-hmm. they passed it down yep. and they passed it down all before it got pen to paper. Which was, I mean, I guess printing press was well before like penmanship and actual writing down. But like, yeah, there's the whole stone yeah, tablet yeah, thing. And, but yeah, but like, my point is before there is even written record of stuff, these stories happened. And yep. I think the point of that is that it's much easier to remember a story than individual points. And so here's the tough reality, youth pastors. 
because I know this has been my experience. I listened to some fantastic sermons growing up as a student. I can remember like two of them. Yeah. Like vivid memories of two sermons. And I probably heard... That might be more than I can remember. A lot, right? But I remember hearing the stories, the biblical stories that my youth pastor shared with me because those are more easily retained. And so, you know, and the the other last benefit of an expository sermon is you're literally teaching students how to read the word. When you read through a Bible story and you start pulling out insight and wisdom right before their very eyes and, 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 and all of that, you are giving them the confidence and you are, without even trying to, you're just teaching them how you can open up the word for yourself and start to dissect it yourself. And I think that is a very underrated benefit of an expository sermon. Yeah. The other, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but, and, and this one's risky, but I, I've talked about one of the things I've done with a sermon before is, you know, literally the students on the spot randomly select a chapter of the Bible and I read through that. That is expository preaching at it's very basic, but right. it's the same concept. I'm going to teach you how to do this so that you have the tools in your tool belt to do it without me. Right. You know, that's one of the one of the biggest, if not the single biggest goal of youth ministry is for youth pastors to teach youth students how to do some of these things without the youth pastor. So that when you are on your own, when you go off to college, when you go off to a job, when you go off to the military, you can read the Bible and get something out of it. You can understand it without somebody having to hold your hand the entire way through. And that's everything, right? That's teaching them how to pray. That's parenting. Yeah, right. I mean... At the absolute most, you have six years to make an impression on a student. At yeah. the most. Yep. And or, like, or seven, depending on your school district. Right. But a lot of times, it's obviously much shorter than that. Oh, yeah. Because they either come in late or they, they take a, you know, whatever it is. And so, we need to be very intentional about, like, the, again, the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. Our intent is not to fill up space and just put on a service for the sake of putting on a service. We are literally trying to teach these students life skills and mm-hmm. life lessons that when they walk out of our youth ministry at 18, whatever it is, even if they leave early 17, 16, they walk out into the real world equipped with the knowledge and the wisdom to know how to chase after God. And really that what that boils down to is discipleship. We've talked about this in length, but what are some things, Kyle, that you do in terms of Within your discipleship process, like getting them into the word. Yeah, it's revolutionary, but doing a Bible study with students uh, is one of the biggest ways to teach students the Bible. That's deep, man. Uh, it's it's deep. really deep, uh, theological and, and hard to grasp right away. But um, you know, we, we do a Bible study with our high school students every Sunday night throughout the school year. And you know, right now, uh, you know, we just finished up James. Going through, which is a fun, like in yeah. so far this school year, we've done James. Uh, we did Revelation, which, oh boy. Wow. Uh, that was, that was, <laughs> I made the mistake of asking our Bible study kids, like, hey, what book do you want to go through next? And they said Revelation. And I was like, all I, right. I regret asking the question. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was really, really good. And they, they wanted to learn, they wanted to grow. Like, do not make the mistake that you don't have any students in your youth ministry that want to dive really, really deep. Uh, you know, that's, that's huge. And so 
that that's one of the ways that that I do it with our high schoolers is we literally sit down, we read through chunk by chunk, and I encourage them, you know, come to our Bible study having already read the chapter, and come to our Bible study having like read some commentaries, write down some questions that you have when you read it, so that as we're going through you can ask these questions. Yeah. You know, have a pen ready or a pencil, write in your Bible in the margins, write in a notebook, you know, questions and answers to questions. One of my favorite things is to go back through, again, I mentioned I've had this Bible for over 10 years, to get, go th- back through it and see notes that I made myself five, six, seven years ago uh, is is really, really cool. Yeah. And it, it can show, it almost gives encouragement. Yeah. You know, when when a student writes a question they have in their Bible and then later on they can answer it, yeah. years from now they'll go back and see that and be like, <laughs> part part of it's like, wow, I was really dumb back yeah, then. Right. I didn't know the answer to that. There are times I made notes and I'm like, what? Right. But what? it also, it shows growth and it shows maturity. Yeah, exactly. And that's not something that's easy to see over a short period of time. Yeah. But over a long period of time, you can see growth better and you can look back and be encouraged by that. What I love about that model too is it's almost like a safety net or training wheels. Yeah. Like I'm not saying they're training wheels like they're elementary, but what's nice about that is when you have them read ahead of time and come with their questions or their notes, they feel more willing to kind of push through and ask those questions and and, and wrestle with. Because I mean, let's be honest, like the Bible is, it's not just clean cut and dry all the time. You're going to have questions. You're going to have misunderstandings. And so when you can take that and write those down and come to your youth pastor and, and he or she can start to address them, it really gives you that confidence to keep going. Like I've had a few students who have been like, uh, you know, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but like I started to read and I got confused and then I just stopped reading in general. And yep. like, like that, yep. That's hard because like we as youth pastors need to be able to help foster and shepherd them to push through that and give them that confidence. Uh, another big thing in terms of discipleship is there are some really good Bible plans, right? Like some students need, most students, whether they admit it or not, need and crave structure. Like it's one thing to say, hey, you should read your Bible. It's another thing to hand them, hey, here's a plan. You know, he, whether it's a year-long plan, whether it's a introductory to faith Bible plan where they take you through three verses a day. You know, whatever that is, there are really, and we live in a day and age where there are, there are websites, there are apps, there are a million and one ways to have good, constructive Bible plans that are perfectly catered to where you are at in your faith. And you know what that helps us do is it helps us to dialogue with students and keep them accountable, right? Like mm-hmm. not like a, hey, um, are you reading your Bible? Um, no, I've been busy. Okay, well you suck. You know, it's not like that, but it's like a. All right, sweet. Like, are, are are you getting hung up on something? Where are you at with it? Like, what do you think about this chapter? Again, it goes back to this confidence thing, right? Like, uh, I've mentioned before, I, I love dog training, right? Yep. Like it, I, a big thing when you're teaching a dog something new, you start really small, something that they are comfortable doing, and you build them confidence that doing it over and over and over again, and then you slowly increase the difficulty so that all of a sudden they find themselves doing something that's completely brand new over a step of, of progress. Now, humans are different than dogs, but what I think the premise is the same, right? Like you shouldn't hand your suit at the Bible and say, hey, you should read this. Go ahead. Good luck. Let me know if you have any questions. Yeah. But like give them a good structure of like, hey, the book of Matthew is a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. 
let's talk about the first two chapters next week when I see you. You know, like it just, it kind of helps them get on that, that thing. And really we need to go first, right? Like we, my pastor says this all the time and I think it's so wise. He said, there are so much, there's so much that is caught and not taught. Mm -hmm. And the premise is like, students are always watching us, how we respond to things, how we're doing it. We need to be immersed in the word so it naturally comes out in our conversations rather than just telling them, hey, you should read your Bible. Like we need to go first if we really want to develop this literacy in our students because if not, then we're kind of hypocrites, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that is, all of that starts with the youth pastor or the youth leader. Uh, If it starts with the youth pastor, it's reinforced through their youth leaders. Uh, And just like everything in youth ministry, if, if the leadership is passionate about it, and if the leadership demonstrates it, then it's going to start to become a culture of the youth students. Uh, but there's a lot of hurdles when it comes to you know, biblical literacy, when it comes to some of these things. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, translations is, is one of the big hurdles that you will see in this conversation. Um, according to Wikipedia, a good friend of the show... <laughs> Uh, when, when's Merriam-Webster going to make another reappearance? Because that's a great question. He's one of our biggest fans. He is one of our biggest fans, but uh, this one goes out to a good friend of the show, Wikipedia. 118 different translations in English wow. of the Bible. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier that, you know, NIV, NLT, New King James, The Message are some of the ones that we use to varying degrees. You have the amplified version. You have the ESV, English Standard Version. Uh, there, like Literally, I'm looking at a list of 118 different... The Woman's Bible. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, the, okay, this is such a... This is an even better rabbit hole. Uh, there are so, <laughs> there are some weird, there, there, there's like a Hawaiian one. Translated have you, have you the, uh, one? yeah, the Hawaiian Bible. There's, there's a Bible translation called the LOL cat Bible. It oh, is there's no way that's legit. It is legit. It's hilarious. It refers to, uh, it refers to God, at, I think as sky kitty or, or something oh like that word. It's so funny. So funny. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, easy English Bible, easy to read version, emphasized Bible, evangelical heritage version, expanded Bible. Like, like literally there's so many different translations. And so how do we even remotely begin to determine which translations we should or should not use? Um, the first thought that I will say is there's a lot of right answers. There, mm-hmm. there are very few wrong answers. Yep. If there's a translation of the Bible that is written with a specific perspective in mind, and I'm not... There, there were a few that popped up on this list, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want to like falsely say this translation sucks. Uh, but there are... There are some translations of the Bible that they are, they're coming at it at a slant. Sure. You know, they're coming at it with a specific perspective in mind, almost with an agenda that they want to push. Yeah. 
if that's the case, that's probably not a very good translation to read. Yep. Uh, but that's going to be very few of them. Sure. Uh, a majority of translations are great. The trick with a translation of the Bible is that it was not originally written in English. Uh huh. And so, you know, the Old Testament, primarily written originally in Hebrew. Yep. New Testament, Greek. Yep. And I don't speak any of those. Or read. Or read. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't read any of them either. Uh, and so that's where obviously these translations came from. There, without getting too deep into it, there's two different ways to, you know, to translate something. You yep. can literally translate word for word every single word that you see. Yep. Um, a translation, a translation like the King James version, would be a little bit more on that end. Yep. Uh, the other way to translate something is more thought for thought. You're taking larger chunks of, of a, you know, you're taking half of a sentence or a full sentence even, and you're translating all of it together. Uh, you know, you can, you can gain some comprehension by doing it that way, but you might lose a little bit of the depth. Yep. Uh, a really common, uh, example of that would be the aforementioned message translation. Yep. Where where it's a little bit more thought for thought, and so uh, there's a lot of you know, I don't, you can kind of share some thoughts on this, Derek. There's a lot of there's a lot of right answers when it comes yeah. to what translation should I use. There are fewer wrong answers than right. I think some people think that there are. Right, and 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 that really is what it boils down to is because you will the reason it's a hurdle is because you will have some. Just like anything, there are some people who are big fans of certain translations. Like, yeah, like, and it, it will become if you don't read this one, then everything else is inferior. And quite as a matter of fact, that's just not true. Like, you might you might have a ton of preferences and opinions and reasons why you think this is superior, but as you this, this is actually a hot button for me because quite literally, unless you are well versed in ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, which 99.9% of people living today are not, and you have access to the original manuscripts when they were originally written, we're not getting the most accurate translation the way that it is if we're reading it in English. And so for you to kind of poo-poo every other version is just like unproductive for one, and two, just not based on actual fact. And so... um where we really kind of sum up with this instead of getting into, you know, the weeds here, you can find pros and cons to every single version. And so here's what I would tell um, students or youth pastors who are teaching students or youth leaders or really a parent even. If you are if you are trying to lessen this literacy gap, find a translation of the Bible that your student can understand. Yeah. That's the best place to start. If, 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 to, to Kyle's point... Some of the me- some of the versions are easier to read. I think of the message. It's written like you and I would have a conversation. It's really, really smooth. It's really, really just easy to understand. And so you might lose some of the depth, but it's a good place to start. I'd rather you open that up and get into it than try to muster your way through, you know, the King James version and be super confused and get nothing out of it. And so, you know, we you can find I bet if you type in Bible translation chart or something. There's an actual chart where yep. it says comprehensive thought for thought in all the translations. Realistically, I, I think that if, if you're going, okay, it helped me just pick one. It's going to be hard, but I think the reason you and I both kind of fall in the NAV is because it's 
pretty darn near the middle. Yep. It, it, it's it's got a lot of it's got a lot of like the word for word in it, but it's also well written and easy to understand relatively. Yeah, and the I I had another conversation with a student at one point. They asked me this question, like, what translation of the Bible should I use? And because I think they were thinking about getting a a Bible in the message translation, but they had heard somebody say like, oh, it's terrible. Don't read it. Yep. And what I told them was it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the conversation in the Bible about spiritual milk versus spiritual meat. Yeah. You know, you, you have to start off small. You have to start off with milk and work your way up from there. You know, if, if the, the message is awesome for comprehension and it's awesome for, uh, for understanding, starting to understand the Bible. But like I said earlier, you are going to lose a little bit of depth yep. with a translation such as the message. Uh, whereas, and so if, if you've been a Christian for 30 years and you are reading out of the message, something went wrong along the way. Yep. Either, either you weren't seriously a Christian for 30 years and you weren't actively pursuing God and growing closer to him through reading and studying the word of God, or you've, you should have outgrown the message by now. And, and, you know, maybe have you thought about starting to read NIV or ESV or whatever, pick your translation that is further along on the other side of the chart that Derek mentioned. Yep. The other thing that I'll mention real quick, uh, is that through convert, I do like Derek said, neither of us speak or read or have any comprehension for Greek or Hebrew. Yep. But I have had a conversation with somebody who does. And very respected source, great friend of the show, Mark Turnage, who uh, he was my guide when I spent a month over in Israel. Did you have he, like a two and a half hour long conversation <clears throat> with him over the phone? I did, yes. Uh, great friend of the show. Yeah. Phenomenal friend of the show, one might say. Uh, but he uh, also, he's not paying me for this, but he has his own podcast that's uh, called Windows Into the Bible. So if you want just like the most dense Bible conversation you've ever heard, go check out his podcast. It's really, really good. Still listen to ours, but also go check his out. <laughs> uh, but he told me that, uh, you know, based on his extensive, extensive knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, the new American standard Bible is one of, if not the best translation. Wow. Uh, the re the biggest reason why I do not read that version is because I do not own a Bible in that version. Like it's not, sure. it's not something super, uh, you know, super, it's not a very good excuse. Uh, it's not a very good answer. And j- if you don't read the new American standard Bible, you're not going to hell. No. Like it's right. not, it's not a make or break thing. Uh, that would be something if you really want to challenge yourself, uh, that'd be where I would point you. But yeah. most translations of the Bible uh, are, that you know, that I'm not going to say there's an issue there. And, and two quick closing thoughts on this point, because herein lays the problem with the translation debate. It is, it is truly a, you, we could talk about it for a long time because there's so much to it. But two things, it's not a, what's the word I'm looking for? This, I don't know. Th- th- this chart is not like a progressive chart. It's not like... Oh, yeah. You don't start with the message and graduate to, to NLT and then graduate right. to NIV. Right. Like, the, like <laughs> it, It's not like if you're reading the message and someone's reading the King James, like there's so much holier than thou. Like that, that's just not it. it. It's purely just like it's, it's, it's trying to compare two completely different things. 
but neither one is better or worse than you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. For example, we had this conversation before we hit record here. You know, if there's any translation of the Bible that has its fans that adhere to it and say all other translations are terrible, it's the King James version. You know, that's the version where people like live and die by it. And they say all other translations are bogus. Uh, and, and the King James version is about as word for word as you can get. Yep. You know, if you, if you are a new Christian and, or if you are not well-versed in old English, like Shakespearean (laughs) type of language, they, thou, well, they is not thine. Yeah. Um, Wentz. Yeah. Carson uh, Wentz? No, no, no. Wentz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm saying what weird. Uh, it, that translation has its big fans. That translation, to get into some of the specifics, you know, it was written in 1611 based on manuscripts from like the 14th century. Yep. The, written in 1611. In the 400 plus years since then, imagine that science has improved and archaeological discoveries have been made. And we have found manuscripts of the New Old and New Testament that date back farther than the 14th century. Which means it was closer to the source and closer to what was actually correct. So therefore would probably be more accurate. Yes. yes. And so like the NIV... What, for example, was a translation that was based primarily on manuscripts from like the third or fourth or fifth century, which is almost a thousand years before the manuscripts from the 14th century that the King James version was based on. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those, like, you know, I could, I could try to poke holes in a lot of them if I wanted to, the, the differences are so small like it's not yeah. worth arguing right. over. And 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 that's the silly part is like we you can get into this debate, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to say is find something that works for you. Find something that draws you closer to the Lord. Like there is so many reputable versions. And that was the last thing I was gonna say is if you're wondering where the heck you can like like for me, I, I like I said, I have a good mix of NIV, NLT with a little interspersing of the message. I have a study Bible in the NIV. I have a smaller pocket edition Bible that could legit fit in your pocket if you wanted Aww, to. Oh, cute. Yeah. Um, and the Most NLT. people call those phones, Derek. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, <laughs> like Kyle's like, I don't read the New American Standard because I don't have one. But if you download the, the version or the Bible app. Good friend of the show, version. Yes. You can, you can change translations right on there. And so if you want to like try out a few different ones, but you're not sure, you're like, yep. I really want a paper copy, but I don't know if I'm going to like it. Instead of dropping 40 or 50 bucks a pop and trying out different Bibles, you can go online, read a few passages, switch a translation, see how you like it, see how it reads. And then if you want to make the dive, you can do that. But again, we're just trying to get students to understand the word, to get into the word. And um, the translation is a big hurdle to that. Another big hurdle is some just don't see the need to read in the Bible. Yeah, especially Gen Z. It, it, because it's not been modeled for them that this is something that is an integral yep. part of our lives, right? Like it's more of a, it's more of like a lifeline or more of like a, this is just a church book, right? Rather than like a, this is foundational to, to what we are. And you know, you think about like, for us, the Bible is, is a, is a core part of who we are, but to, to a non-believer, to a new Christian, 
It's just a book you read in church, you know? And so we have to, again, help show them the need for it, that reading the Bible is not a chore. It's not something to please God. It's not a book of inspirational quotes. It is literally a historical love letter of who God is and what his involvement was like for multiple, multiple, multiple generations and how God worked through different people and how that means that the same God who was alive and active back then is the same God who's active in our lives now. And that's why we read it so that we can get a better idea of who God is through his word. Yeah, absolutely. And then the third big hurdle that we see with students when it comes to biblical literacy, and Derek mentioned this earlier, is that unknown information tends to lead to them just getting really discouraged. You know, yep. when when they hit a roadblock like the, of of understanding, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me. Then they just stop reading. Yep. And and they put the Bible down and they give up. And and that's where we as youth pastors and youth leaders, parents, that's where we can come alongside that student and first of all, I I I think step 1 before this happens is creating a a culture and environment, whether that is in within your youth ministry or for parents in your family, creating a culture where questions are awesome yep. and and you want and you encourage your student to ask questions yep. uh, about like, hey, I came across this and I don't understand it. Can you help me understand it? You know, very closely behind that is the rule that you cannot act like you always have the answer because you won't. You know. It's a great thing for your student to see you say, I don't know, let's find out together. Or I don't know that off the top of my head. Let me, give me a week. You know, if, if you see them every Wednesday, give me a week, let me look into it. And then next Wednesday, I will have an answer for you. Uh, or I'll kind of tell you what I find. Um, you know, I think that that is, that is the groundwork you lay so that when the student comes across that, they know that they can go ask somebody. They yep. know that that question is not going to get shot down. And then youth pastors, youth leaders, parents can come alongside that student and help them to understand. Right. It's caught, not taught, right? Yeah. You're literally I love that. teaching them how to deal with unknown information. I, I would say of the three, in my experience, it's the biggest one mm-hmm. is if they don't understand it, it's just not worth their time. It, it, it's too much of a struggle. It's too ambiguous. It's too foreign. It just it it, be, it becomes discouraging really, really. And fast. it kind of goes along with the translation problem as well, right? You know, the only Bible they have laying around is a King James version, and they have a really hard time understanding it because they haven't taken the Shakespeare class in school yet. And yeah. so then they they have a they have a hard time understanding it. They get frustrated. They don't ask questions because you know maybe their house is not a house that. It, you know, has their family hasn't fostered yep. that culture of asking questions and that being a good place for that. And it's a big uh, book, right? Where are you yeah. going to start? You're going to start, open up the front cover and start reading. Do you open up in the middle and just see what, like it's, it's just open, close your eyes, open to a random page point, point. <laughs> open your eyes and then start reading there. Yeah. Uh, I will say real quick, this could be a helpful thing for listeners. Uh, James, That's one of the ones that I always point, if a youth student says, hey, I want to start reading the Bible, I don't know where to start. James is almost always one of the books that I point them to uh, because it's short. short, Yep. They can get that accomplishment of having read through it. Um, First John is another one where 
it's 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 short it's simple enough that they can get through it um hebrews terrible idea <laughs> you know that that's not a book that's a right. little bit heavier of a book right uh that i would not romans is another one it's so good but it's a little bit too heavy for yep. like i'm just getting into this yep but romans is tough because romans has so much really good theology oh, in right. it mm-hmm. that it's it's an earlier one that i might throw their way you know i i might throw them romans before uh revelation but uh, i'd hope so <laughs> Revelation might be one of the last ones. Actually, yeah. if it's a youth student, I might throw them Revelation before Song of Solomon. But uh, yeah, that's fair. We <laughs> just because I don't want to have that conversation. Uh, that's going to have to be an episode at some point. Uh, Song, of Solomon, Song of Solomon, or the topic that goes with Song. Of the Solomon. topic that goes with it. Okay. Um, parents listening to this episode with your youth student, we'll let you explain it. Um, but, <laughs> just don't send them to us. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that. All three of those hurdles, the translation, the, you know, discouragement from not understanding and just a lack of seeing a need to read. Yep. Uh, all of those hurdles can kind of go together. Yep. Uh, and all three of them at some point or another are going to need to be addressed in a student's journey between never reading the Bible to reading it consistently. Yep. And that's again, enter in youth pastor. Whether, yep. whether it's how you approach from the pulpit or whether it's in a small group or whether it's a one-on-one conversation like Kyle's alluded to a few times, we need to get serious about developing and shortening this gap because as all of us know, for those that read the Bible consistently, if we can get a student into the word, there's going to be growth there beyond measure. And it's our job and our responsibility to help bridge that gap for them. Yeah. The, yeah, I, sorry. I've found, I accidentally clicked out of something and you, now I'm back You went back, back on, to your generation article, No, I'm didn't back you? on the translation list. Oh. Uh, there's just, there's just so many here. You're, you're, I, you're I think as a, every one of them. as an encouragement to youth pastors, uh, you know, it's okay to, to kind of take it slow. And, you know, this is being passionate about reading the Bible is not something that your entire youth ministry is going to pick up overnight. And so, Model it for them, talk about it, be passionate about it. And then that's going to breed curiosity in your students. Yep. Uh, you know, when a student is going through a hard time and you're able to, you know, reference something back to the Bible, you're able to talk about like, you know, something happens in your life and a student is like, that's interesting. You know, something similar happened in my life, but my life seemed to fall apart and they seem okay. Yep. They ask you like, where do you get your calm and your peace and your sense of stability in life? And I'm yep. like, well, let me tell you. Yep. Door opened. Yep. <laughs> let me tell you about this thing called the Bible. I love it. You're a wise man. I love it. That's it for today's episode. Uh, we encourage you guys, how not to be a youth pastor, gmail.com. If you have any questions, Follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. New episode every single Thursday. But on behalf of Derek, I think it's time that I go get to work on the Pastor Kyle edited translation. Goodbye. Goodbye.